Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender. If you work in HR or make people decisions in your organization, this is the place to be. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Oh, welcome, welcome everybody to episode 51. We have done this 51 times and it gets better every time. This, the most mustache-laden episode of The Bartender yet. <laughs> All right. Well, awesome. today, today we are gonna we're gonna talk about trust. It's a topic that's close to everyone's hearts. Mm -hmm. We're gonna talk about high speed, uh, uh, high trust relationships, and uh, how to build them. Things you can do. Lori's got lots of super cool content for you on that front. I don't think we have any newbie newbies here today, so we'll go straight to the news because my job is to connect you with things that are happening in HR news. And I, I was looking through this stuff over the last couple of days. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about work from home and return to office and, and how all that is going together. And these are the headlines that, that caught my eye. So there's an article um, about workers being afraid to talk about how they feel about returning to work. And we talked about that several weeks ago. Um, it's interesting now that that's, that's starting to, to bubble up. I found more than one article on that topic. Um, in New Jersey, there's a, a city in Hudson, New Jersey. They're going to allow their, their city workers to work from home, but they're going to be monitored closely. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what that means. Um, I thought that this article was- That does not sound like a high trust culture to me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I thought this was interesting. Two thirds of IT workers may never fully return to the office. Mm. Right? We talked about how the, the genie's out of the bottle on work from home and especially for, for knowledge workers that don't need a physical space. And it's interesting to see that, that that's starting to play out um, along those same lines. Hugo Boss announced yesterday, I think it was yesterday, um, that even after coronavirus, they're only putting people in the office Tuesday to Thursday. So three-day office week mm -hmm. for Hugo Boss, which I thought was interesting. Um, this other article here in the center, in the work from home battle for space, women are the reluctant nomads. And it was interesting because it talked about how home office space is typically the domain of dudes. And it just made me think, it's like, okay, so dudes get the office and dudes get the man cave in the basement. Um, and women get what? There's, do, they, do they ever get a dedicated space? The broom closet? <laughs> they get that little desk that comes in kitchens built after 1994. <laughs> <laughs> I have to show you my husband's first office before he fixed up the basement. I'll send, I'll find a picture. It's going to take a while, but I will put yeah. it in the website for you. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. The, the headline on the bottom I thought was, was pretty interesting and relevant. And I'll put links to all these um, in the, uh, in the website and on the video notes. COVID-19 has put trust front and center in human resources management. And this kind of ties to that New Jersey article. As employees surveillance software multiplies, managers are learning that trust is central to performance, engagement, and retention. Hmm, mm. interesting. <laughs> and then this last headline, I just put up here because it made me sad. Cuomo warns that indoor dining might not return to New York City during the cold months. So restaurants are going to be not the way we remember them. I also saw another article about the restaurant industry, and it was called, The Restaurant Industry is Dying, and Maybe That's Not a Bad Thing. Mm -hmm. And the, the crux of the article was about how service employees are treated. Oh. And like, there's been a couple of, of, of startup Instagrams for you know supporting these service workers and people have been telling their stories on these channels about how they're treated from a racism sexism uh point of view 
you know, I know there's there's a there's a trope about chefs and chefs being eccentric and you know naughty and doing what they want to do, but some of the stories in that in that story kind of blew my mind because were those things to happen in 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 a, in a workplace that we're all used to that 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 shit don't fly, but in a kitchen it's different. Go ahead, Mariah. Yeah, yeah, you're close to this. One. I'm really close to this topic. My husband is an executive chef and general manager whose position was impacted by COVID and has not been working since March. Um, and he tells me all the time, don't listen to the, what I'm going to say with your HR ears. Um, mm. Because you're right, the shit that flies is absolutely not what we would tolerate in corporate America. And it, mm -hmm. it's both ways, back of house, front of house, um, customer to the employee, sometimes employee to the customer. So it's definitely a different dynamic, although I'd have to agree with the article in that um, it shouldn't die um, because that is a lot of people's income. It is how they get started. I mean, how many of us on this call may have worked in some yeah. sort of restaurant industry to get started? And so to take that away would be just devastating to our economy and to many people's incomes. Well, I think the headline was slightly misleading because what I've learned about headlines and capturing attention of people online, negative things tend to get clicks. And uh, the crux of the article was that the industry has to change or it will die. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, just seeing these channels where that behavior is being surfaced and just, sort of followed in a major way. People are, are chiming in with their stories. And I, I didn't realize how, how rampant it seems to be. But, yeah. you know, hearing your story, Mariah, I mean, you're one restaurant in, you know, Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's not like, you know, it's, it's, it's a marquee thing in New York City run by some TV chef who gets a free pass. That's right. Yep. Right? Yep. Crazy. And I wouldn't have to, I'd have to say, Eric, not all chefs are sleazy and, <laughs> and whatever other words of uh, adjectives you described. <laughs> no, of course not. But what's interesting to me is that it, that behavior, what caught my eye in that article is that that behavior just gets a pass in the industry in a different way mm -hmm. than it does, than, than, than we would allow that to happen. But, you know, if, if you think about it, you know, most most restaurants or organizations that own restaurants, they don't have a on-site HR person. Yep, that is right. That is the key thing is that there's not an HR person. So what laws that we have in place just don't, they don't qualify. And a lot of mm. them are under the radar for, because they're under those 50 employees or whatever. So there's not FMLA right. and there's, there's mm. a lot of different things that just don't qualify at all. And nor are a majority of the business owners or the chefs trained in business right. at all. Um, yeah. Right. The particular school that my husband went to, they did do a whole semester on business um, and to run a business, but not necessarily business law or HR law. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it was the Anthony Bourdain, one of his books, oh. that was just like eye-popping really? <laughs> of what it was like for him, right, before he became famous and all of the experience yeah. he had. And, yeah. I, I love that book. That was yeah. an amazing book. Yeah. Um, and then there was, a, there was another article I saw that I, I was just, when I was waiting for, for a bartender to start today, I was flipping through headlines. And this is on CNN Business, and it says working mothers are quitting to take care of their kids, and the U.S. job market may never be the same. Mm -hmm. mm. um, and the stat, yeah, it's just it's kind of crazy, right? Just thinking about all these tough choices, right? We've been talking about the whole school issue, and and what people are going to do, and you know how some of us are lucky that in that our kids are older, um, but if you got young kids, you know, in some instances, many it seems to be. Uh, people have to make a choice, right? I was uh, I was pretty proud of our our CEO. We had a staff meeting talking about people need to speak up and be proactive about what they need, right? Mm -hmm. Flexibility wise, and he he specifically said before anybody feels like they need to make a decision about going part time or quitting because of these circumstances, please let us talk to you. Please let mm -hmm. us work That's with awesome. you in a way that makes you feel like you have an option. So yeah. Um, 
Yeah. That's fantastic. It was awesome. And that should be the norm, you know? Yeah. yeah. And because it's, once again, typically the moms that take the hit, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Career-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? The contrast that the thing we talked about last week, the real estate investment trust in Houston that banned masks. <laughs> yeah, banned masks. Hmm. How many yeah. of them have COVID? Yeah. <laughs> right? And it's in Houston. Crazy. It's like a hotbed. Yeah. Right. Uh, which brings us to trust. let's just solve this problem right now (laughs) Lori's post today on the bartender network had a trust fall picture and that inspired me to post my own trust fall picture (laughs) that's amazing we got you (laughs) they're like we really want to get you but I don't think we can (laughs) Uh, this is why I love you, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I'm I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask a question here real quick, and then I'm gonna turn it over to Lori to talk about trust. Um, I was just curious: do you guys do you guys do anything formally in your organizations revolving around trust, or is it just this sort of thing that we think about but we don't talk about this elephant in the room kind of thing are there expectations around it do you teach it in a leadership program is it a core value or is it just kind of there i guess if i have to think that hard it's probably not there enough (laughs) right right yeah exactly that's that's what I was wondering, um, and you know, as as we were prepping for today, it just got me thinking about, you know, as as we're more distant, as we're all, you know, working some hybrid or or all remote uh, workspace, how much more important is it? And you know, trust is easier to build when we spend time together and get to know each other better mm-hmm. and have more cycles and we're going on month six of no coffee room conversations, right? No, hey, let's go to lunch. Let's grab drinks after work. Um, So those opportunities to build trust that came, you know, sort of organically, they're fewer. Um, So it got me thinking about all the relationships that you have at work and, you know, that sort of path that, that that they travel when you grow them. And how much has this pandemic, this situation, this new paradigm stunted the growth of those relationships? And, and what are the things that we can do to, to help make those better? So th- that's perfect kind of container because it's the intentionality mm-hmm. is, is the kind of the secret sauce in all of this. So um, when the circumstances make it even harder, that means there has to be even more intentionality. Mm-hmm. And from the crickets of <laughs> what you know, what organizations do, um, <clears throat> I think a lot of a lot of people, a lot of organizations, kind of put trust in the bucket of kind of a squishy virtue that you kind of have it or you don't, and you know how do you actually get your arms around that? Um, so a few years ago, I. Um, got certified in the speed of trust. So if you've heard the book, Stephen M. R. Covey, um, Stephen Covey Sr.'s son wrote the, the, the speed of trust. And so what I'm pulling out to share with you predominantly comes from that work. And that work can scale to a two full day workshop, right? Like it goes quite deep and quite complex. And I'm going to nutshell it for you in about 30 minutes. Um, but, but it's something that when I, when I learned this context, this frame, it made so much sense to me. And, and what I believe, and the reason this is a class that I teach at Cable Labs, it's something that I teach in our advanced leadership development program. It's something that I offer to all employees because it's not a leadership skill, it's an everybody skill, is <clears throat> if you 
can have high trust relationships, that accelerates every other competency that you have in whatever you're doing, whatever your role is, whatever, you know, leadership, individual contributor, whatever that is, if you have high trust relationships around you, it's going to accelerate every other thing that you're able to do. And mm -hmm. oops, flip it over. If you do not have high trust relationships, it's going to create barriers for you too. So that's, uh, that's what we're going to get after here. So let me go ahead and share this. And I have to make your faces bigger so I can see y'all. There you are. Okay. So um, building high trust relationships. So, so as we get started, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think about, I'm going to give you a series of questions. And I want you to think about and even write down, if you've got paper handy, write down the name of a person when I ask this question. Okay. So this is about who you would, um, who in different areas of your life, who would you trust to take care of important things or information, right? So the first idea is who would you trust to do your job at work while you're on vacation? Right, what name comes to you there? All right, who would you trust with your PIN, your personal identification number to your ATM machine or your bank account? No one. <laughs> what are you crazy? Personal. I just hand them the sticky note that it's written on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, who would you trust with your child or your pet? Eric, it's my pet. <laughs> so Ruby, or you. Uh, and then the last one is, who would trust you, just in general? No one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so of those four questions and the, the names that you wrote down to each, what do you notice about trust from this exercise? They're people you're pretty close with. Yeah, I've got, I've got one person in all of them. Okay, It's right. the same person. <laughs> right, yeah. does anybody not have the same person in all of them? I don't, but they were easy to come up with. Okay, yeah, pretty, pretty easy to get that name. <laughs> Because the person that Mariah trust, trusts with her ATM pin, she probably won't let do her job. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Nor do I think they could do my job. Yeah. So, I, mean, I was just going to add, with my team, I actually wrote that I would trust them with my ATM pin because I think in some cases I probably have given it to them. <laughs> and I have no concerns with that whatsoever. I, yeah. I consider myself pretty effing lucky that... <laughs> You know, it's not just a person in my family or whatever. I have no problem, anybody on my, the mm -hmm. team. Yeah. So, so that's what's the, that's an interesting thing about trust is like, well, why, why is that? What is it about these relationships or these people or these circumstances where we instantly have this sense of that's who I would trust, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you, you, it, it, it's very contextual, right? Because the person that I might trust to do my taxes I would not leave my child with, right? Or the person that I would trust to, to do my job at work is, you know, not the person that I would trust with my PIN number or whatever. And so that, that's also part of what we're trying to get our arms around is, is there's contextual situations, but then there's also this, this natural analysis that goes on and so that's what this um, framework puts in front of us is how are we doing that, right? What, how are we making those decisions? So <clears throat> the idea of, of the speed of trust, which I also found to be very like kind of an aha moment, especially in the context of the workplace, is trust always impacts two measurable variables, right? It's speed and cost. 
because when trust goes down, speed, or excuse me, when trust goes up, how am I doing this? Let me put these up. When trust goes down, speed goes down and costs go up, right? If we have low trust relationships, things take longer, that can turn into things costing more, you're double checking, right? And there's this concept, if you put it in economic terms, right, they're trust taxes. They're things you're paying because you've got a low trust relationship. Things like redundancy, bureaucracy, politics, disengagement and turnover, customer churn, right? In the worst cases, fraud. I would say burnout too. Burnout, absolutely, right? Um, And then conversely, when trust goes up, speed goes up and costs come down because you have things like these trust dividends, again, in the economic terms, you have um, accelerated growth, you have enhanced innovation, you have improved collaboration, uh, stronger partnering, better execution, heightened loyalty, deeper engagement, right? All of that turns into increased stakeholder value because you've got high trust relationships going on. So in terms of the workplace, this idea of, of understanding where that trust is makes a bottom line impact to a business, let alone the emotional impact, right? So, so just do, let's do this little exercise. Think of somebody that you have a really high trust relationship with at work, right? Should come to you pretty quickly. And then think about what is it like to work with that person, right? Call out to me, what is that like to work with that person? Fun. Fun. Awesome. Right? Safe. Safe, right? You tend to have kind of a shorthand, right? You tend to grant each other way more grace on a bad day. You tend to assume much more positive intent, right? You tend to ask for help and extend help much easier when you have a high trust relationship, right? So that's the good stuff. That's what makes it fun. So if you turn that on its head, think of a relationship with somebody at work that is a low trust relationship. And how's that feel? What's that like? I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) If you've ever had one. (laughs) (laughs) Like anxiety or angst, you know, whenever you're having to communicate with them. Yeah, it's one of those relationships that you, you avoid as mm-hmm. most as much as you can exactly right how can i work around this as much as possible because it's miserable to be with this person right you protect you're skeptical right you're you don't know really what they're in it for right so again things tend to cost more and go slower because of all of those attributes mm-hmm. that go with those relationships right so so this is why this is a really critical competency to get your arms around and, and figure out, right? Because you can't, you can't control anybody else, but we can always look to ourselves, right? We can always start with ourselves. And that's this point here, right? Like a drop of water in a pond, your personal credibility has a ripple effect on your relationships, team, organization, the market, even society. Right? The speed of trust takes this out through all of those ripples. And so before you can generate trust at any level, you have to start with yourself, right? You have to be somebody that has credibility that is trustworthy, right? If we're going to expect that of other people. And so um, this, this model, I love this model um, because I love trees, <laughs> first of all. So I was, I was very connected to this image, but Um, really both character and competence that you see reflected in this image, both of those things are needed to make a person credible, right? And within those um, is, are these four cores of credibility. And so when you have character, integrity and intent are the two cores of credibility that go towards character. And then you have capabilities and results are the four, the two cores that go towards competence, okay? And we're gonna take some time and, and pull those apart and define them a little bit. Um, but these things, integrity, intent, capabilities, and results, they come with behaviors, 
right? They come with things that we do and say, or things that we don't do and we don't say <laughs> in order to uh, show up in this way. So, so when you look at this, what does this image convey to you? Like what, what's your initial reaction to this? Have you have to continually grow. Yeah. Yeah. What do you see at the very bottom? It's like the Maslow hierarchy, like you have to have this to have this. And I was thinking you have to have a solid foundation in order to build off of it. Mm -hmm. So, so that's what, right, we see this, this image of a tree and you have these character pieces that are largely below the ground. And those are the things that are a little bit less obvious or the things that are a little bit easier to mask right? You have the things that are above the ground that are the, you know, the branches of the tree and the leaves on the tree. Those things become pretty apparent, pretty visible, right? And we'll talk about more definition of what's behind these. But the thing that's also interesting is I'll, I'll ask this question. Can someone in some circumstance be credible if you trust capabilities and results and maybe don't trust intent and integrity as much. Are there some situations where that person would still have some credibility with you? A doctor. <laughs> <laughs> there, I mean, there are some, there are some situations where, right. If, if what I'm in it for is to come out of surgery alive, Maybe yeah. I'm not super worried about if he's a jerk to his nurse in the, you know, in the next room, because I'm interested in his results and his track record says he's, he's got these skills and, you know, capabilities and results. Right. Um, but that's not always the case. Right. And so it, these really do become independent points of assessment to think about, well, what, what creates credibility and what's most important in a particular circumstance. Okay, so let's, let's look at this a little bit more. Um, if we look at the definition of integrity, right, for, for these purposes, there's a lot of ways you can define integrity, but, but for our purposes right now, we're gonna talk about integrity as a congruency in values and beliefs and behavior, right? The, the walking, the talk, um, deep honesty, humility and courage, okay? So these are kind of the underpinnings of integrity. If we look at intent, intent is about genuine concern and caring for people, fundamental motive or agenda, right? The, the what's, what are you in it for? What do you care about? Uh, seeking mutual benefit, acting in the best interest of everyone, right? So that's the, the um, integrity and intent are really those character characteristics. Capabilities, when we get above ground into the branches of the tree, these are the, cap uh, the capacities that we have to produce and accomplish results, right? So they're the talents, attitudes, skills, knowledge, styles that we bring. And these are things that somebody said, right? The image of the tree is that it's, it's growing. You're not born with this stuff. You develop skills, right? You hone a style. You become perhaps a subject matter expertise in a particular area. So these are these capabilities are the things that that we can continue to grow into throughout our, our careers. Right. But these these are the, the core pieces that allow us to, to execute on those things. And then results is really that it's the track record past, present and anticipated. Right. And so the key to results is getting the right things done while you're avoiding trust taxes and reaping the trust dividends, right? Because it's not just about like that example, right? The, the surgeon, if he's, <laughs> that's a terrible example. Cause my, the way I always say that is, <laughs> is if they're leaving a trail of dead bodies behind them in, in getting to their results. Well, that's a terrible analogy to make with a doctor. So let's say a bad it's, surgeon. <laughs> right, right. Let's say it's an engineer who, right, is a superstar engineer and they execute and, and do amazing things, but they're leaving a trail of dead bodies behind them, right? That's, that's important <laughs> to consider. And so it results is about getting the right things done while avoiding those kinds of trust taxes.
Okay. Do, do those definitions make sense just in terms of, yeah, Eric. I have a question. <clears throat> um, not really a question, just something that struck me as you were going through um, the integrity piece. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I put this in the chat so I wouldn't forget it. Um, I said it was, it, it was interesting to me that humility is a component of integrity. I don't disagree with that. I was just surprised to see it there. And I, I was wondering if, if, if you had any thoughts on that or, you know, is that a required component mm -hmm. uh, to be humble in any way, to have high integrity? You know, I think where this comes from, so th these are not my definitions. These are the, the research of, right, the, the Covey yeah, Institute. And, and, that's, and that's what they did is they looked at you know, deep research of, of what, what are these definitions of integrity and what do they see in the people mm -hmm. that have the highest trust relationships around integrity and tend humility. to be humble. Yeah. Humility was a piece of it. That vulnerability piece, that ability mm. to say, I don't have all the answers mm. as opposed to BSing my way through that shows integrity. Right? As opposed to say, well, actually, but the way I think of it is, do you trust anybody fully who has a big ego? Like, I'm always a little skeptical because yeah. I'm just like, what's what's up with this? Like, they are you, think are you, are you, are you calling out salespeople? No, not, <laughs> not targeted or anything, but no, I mean, it's true. Like, whenever I meet somebody who is just like, wow, they're not humble. I'm always just a little weary of them. That, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Well, it also means um, service-based leadership, kind of. Mm. Serving others. And I yeah. think a definition a little too much, but that's kind of what I was reading into it. And it, yeah. uh, it also pairs, right? That service-based leadership concept also goes a lot to intent, mm. right? Mm -hmm. About genuine caring and concern for other people, about seeking mutual benefit that everybody wins instead of I just win, right? And um, so, so you can see, obviously they're in separate buckets, but the overlap, there's always, right? <laughs> we talk about very complex concepts and put them in four little buckets. There's right. always gonna be overlap and, and connection among them. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like the, the integrity piece, and, and sometimes you can see it in the behavior, and sometimes it's something that is just quiet under the surface because it's not something that needs to be a blasting horn of, I am the highest integrity person you're ever going to meet, right? Yeah, good questions, yeah. Um, so then competence, right? It goes to the, those capabilities and, and results that are a little bit more obvious to be able to pick out. So that's, that's the example of, um, you know, the maybe the my mom who I'm going to leave my kids with is not the person I'm going to pick to do my taxes because she does not have the skills and the knowledge. Yeah, she doesn't have a track record for for doing taxes. And so in that regard, I would not trust her to do my taxes. I would, you know, every minute of every day, leave my kids kids with her integrity and intention, right, as well as capabilities mm -hmm. and results around children. So um, they, they don't necessarily have to all be there in order for you to feel that they're credible for something, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I want to spend a little more time with the core credibility of intention because I feel like this is the easiest one to overlook in establishing our own credibility and building high trust with others because we, we say this all the time, right? We judge ourselves on our intentions and we judge everybody else on their impact. And I think we take for granted or we make assumptions that people know what, what we mean, right? Well, they, they know what I'm, they know what I'm like, they know what I'm about, they know, you know, and, and we shorthand that when we shouldn't. And so I love this image because, so, so let me ask you this question. Can you, when you're driving a car, can you change lanes without using your turn signal? Yes, you of can. Course. Yes, <laughs> of course you can, right? If you're and a douche. <laughs> so what, 
could be an unintended consequence of changing lanes without using your signal. Crash. Crashing. Right? Crashing, creating road rage. Yeah. Sorry, what, Jenny? Oh, I didn't say anything. Although I, I will say I am a douche. <laughs> <laughs> it, My daughter's every, like, you need to turn on your turn signal. <laughs> yeah, new drivers, right? It reminds me of that meme that says, I'm the kind of person that believes in the inherent good of all people. Also me. Fuck you, where's your turn signal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So, so let's play that analogy out into the workplace, right? That you're leading a project, you're leading a team, you're doing whatever, and you change your mind about something and mm -hmm. you just start doing it. No turn signal. You didn't give anybody the, the intent, right? Why is this happening? What am I doing? How does this impact you? I just made a right turn and just cut you off. Or yeah. I just made a right turn as somebody stepped into the crosswalk and I mowed them right over. Hey, okay. HR business partners, who's had that conversation with the client? <laughs> <laughs> and so one of, the, one of the most important things that I think we can think about in terms of our self-awareness and as we start to assess relationships that we have and the level of trust that we have in them is do I think about, first of all, what is my intent, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to just bl blundering through something, do I actually stop and think, what is my motive? What's my agenda here? Why am I doing this? And do I need to signal that, right? And so declaring your intent can become a really powerful tool in you know, really building those higher trust relationships. Because when you declare your intent, and, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to walk around and say, let me share my intention with you about why I'm going to Arby's for lunch, right? That's, it's mainly okay. because of the meat. <laughs> it's because of all the meat. So, <laughs> but, but when Sorry. you declare your intent, first of all, it makes you get clear on the why behind what you're doing. And we always know there's rarely enough why explained to people in order for them to get on board with us or feel like they understand their role and have clarity, right? So intention really helps you clarify your why. And then the other thing that, that happens is they're able to ask questions. They're able to maybe check you on your intention. Well, gosh, did you think about this? Because that might happen if you do this. So, so it helps them get involved in the situation. But if we, if we just make assumptions that people understand our intent, that's where we can go sideways. Because intent, this can even be in the, in the, I was talking to somebody about this just the other day about giving feedback, right? And that there's, there's something critical, mission critical that somebody needs to hear about. And you know that this person maybe is a, is a little bit more on the sensitive side for, for receiving feedback. And so if you can, rather than jump in and blare out the feedback, if you can say, hey, I'm going to be really direct with you about some information I need to share because it's super important for you to be successful, right? You just changed the whole vibe of that conversation by declaring your intent. Because even if they don't love hearing the feedback, they understand that you're doing it for their best interest, right? As opposed to, I'm just going to dump on you because you screwed up or you forgot something or whatever. So, so that declaring intent is important. Um, when, when is it best to declare your intent? What are some scenarios that you can think of regarding this trust you know, analysis and us showing up as being more credible around this? When is it a good idea to declare your intent? Um, I, I would say when the stakes are high, sure. when, when things are, are not always crystal clear, right? When things are moving fast and we have to make decisions mm -hmm. with limited information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's or when maybe, it's, go ahead. Or when it's a, a new relationship or a new project mm -hmm. or a new meeting, right? Yeah. To, to kick things off, to avoid the confusion or the distraction. Yeah. Mariah, what were you going to say? I was going to say when it goes against the grain too. Mm. 
because you're going to propose something that really absolutely challenges somebody to think, and they're all, they're going to put up their defenses right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that can be a scenario when you're unsure about what the level of trust is like, Hmm, not, not really sure how this is going to land on this person. Maybe it's a newer relationship or maybe it's something that maybe you've gone sideways with, with them before. And you want to come at that in a different way, right? To say, Hey, let me, let me put this in a different context. So you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. I was going to add, um, relationships where you're trying to rebuild trust. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This is uh, super important in those situations, um, especially if you've been hurt and you're willing to, to go back out and repair that, that might come with some boundaries, right? And so being clear about that and being able to, st to state that through your intention. I really want to, you know, repair this relationship or I really would like to get back to a place of higher trust with you. And I'm hesitant because I've been hurt, right? Whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. There's a whole section of, of this content about restoring trust when it's been broken and kind of the, the steps you can take and the ways you can think about that. And was it, was it you who did the thing that broke the trust? Or was it somebody else who did the thing that broke the trust? Or is there a combination going on there? And how can you take steps towards, towards repairing that and, and making that an active choice? Yeah. Morag, did you have something to add? I saw you came off mute. Yes, yeah, so I was going to build on uh, Mariah and some of the other comments, which is the other time to declare it is when we've got a relationship and maybe it's in neutral, not rebuilding or brand new, but maybe I'm trying to do something different. I'm unlearning and learning a new habit. So rather mm. than doing an isolation, because I don't want you to know I'm being a newbie, maybe yeah. declare the intent, which is I'm practicing listening. Mm. I'm practicing mm -hmm. being assertive. You know, yeah. whatever it might be. Oh, it, again, it's like, going against the grain, which was Leah's comment, but in, in a slightly different way. Like, well, like if you're if you're about to do something that's out of pattern for yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. yeah, I dig that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that really goes to that character piece, right? Because that's that's a beautiful combination of intent and integrity. I'm going to overtly tell you that I'm working on a thing that I realize I need work on. Right. And this is why I'm going to behave this way. And this is maybe a request I have of you instead of just boldly being assertive now and people going, whoa, what, <laughs> what's going on here? Um, yeah, that, that's great. And, and that really is in that, that character thing, that, that character bucket. Yeah. Awesome. So what we can keep kind of mulling this over. I, I want to make sure and share with you um, and this, We'll, we'll go through these, but I'll give you all of this information to look back on. Um, but through this research, what they were able to uncover were 13 specific behaviors mm. that are high trust behaviors. And there were things that they could specifically map to what does it look like to have high trust relationships through using these behaviors. Okay. So the um, keep moving my mouse around and it won't advance. So these are the five high trust behaviors that go to character, right? So this is the integrity and the in, and intent. So if we look through these, talk straight, demonstrate respect, create transparency, right wrongs, and show loyalty. Not rocket science, probably nothing revolutionary here, but really these, these are the pieces that will have you showing up in that integrity and intent way to build trust, to be seen as credible, right? And, and one of these big ones is making things right when you're wrong and apologizing quickly, right? That I think goes to that vulnerability, humility, what's your motive? right? I'm, I'm about having a good relationship with you and I screwed up. So I would like to fix it as opposed to maybe they won't notice and I'm just going to skate away. Right. Um, so yeah, these are, these are pretty, pretty straightforward. And one that I really love around showing loyalty is speak about people as if they were present as opposed to bad mouthing them. And I think this is a, um, something that we see all of the time in the workplace, right? I've got an issue with Ruby. And so I talked to Stacy about it. 
So did I. I did the same thing. <laughs> right. And if, if uh, you know, that old, is it in kindergarten you learn? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Right. Or if I've got a problem with Ruby, then my awareness needs to go to, I need to repair things with Ruby. I don't need to air that with somebody else by talking about her. Right. Or what happens in social media where people are willing to write scathing, awful, nasty things to somebody that they don't actually have to look in the eye. Right. And, and that um, creates all of the havoc that that creates. <laughs> So anyways, these are the, um, the high trust behaviors around character. If we go to the competence side, there are eight. And so they're split up here. Um, deliver results, get better, confront reality, and clarify expectations. Confront reality is kind of an interesting one, right? Addressing the tough stuff directly, mm -hmm. not skirting the real issues. and and interesting that this falls in competence, right? That it's, it's really about um, assessing situations and not sugarcoating things and, and being able to work the room that you're in, right? Really deal with what's in front of you um, because that's the way you can get to those results. Um, if you're skirting things, you're probably not getting to the right results or the right way. So it, it's it's interesting that confront reality is a competence behavior, yeah, and not a, and not a character behavior. Yeah, and I think it's got to be a little bit of both, because the the style in which you confront reality, <laughs> mm. right? You're an idiot. Yeah, you, you need to get off this project. <laughs> yeah, you, you can be a douche for sure. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That probably is um, your intent is a little bit more about you than the greater good or, you know, the mutual, um, mutual gain. Yeah. Clarifying expectations. Um, and this is also how other people can, can show up for you, right? Because if you don't clarify expectations, it can be hard for people to deliver the right results. And then that has you thinking that maybe they're not as trustworthy because they went off in some weird direction, but they were doing the best they could with what they had. And so if we show up and, and clarify things for them, confronting reality can also be a situation where we say, you know what, this project has really high stakes and is super visible to our customers. And so this time I'm not going to choose you as the lead because I'm not, you know, I don't think that you have the level of skill or the experience to have you be the lead. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's confronting the reality in a way that doesn't break the trust. It actually, right. Maintains the trust by being honest and saying, all right, but we're going to put you on the project so that you can get some mentoring so that you can get some exposure to that thing because we need to increase your capabilities so that you can be the lead the next time around, right? So that's, that's another way to kind of think about confronting reality. And then um, let's look at the next four around competence. Uh, practicing accountability, listen first, keep commitments, and extend trust, which we're gonna talk a little bit more about in just the few minutes we have left. Um, accountability, I love this one because it's always about your own accountability first, as opposed to running around and pointing at what everybody else is supposed to be doing, <laughs> making sure that you're taking responsibility for your own results, good or bad, however they show, showed uh, up. Um, you know, we talk about this all the time about, about actually listening is not about being quiet until their lips start stop moving so you can say the thing you were thinking right? That's not listening. <laughs> it's actually absorbing what they're saying and understanding it. And that is, is definitely one of those high trust behaviors that, that people can respond to and they know that you're doing that. So some of these things come in the, in the capabilities um, section is, is also about attitude, right? Capabilities is, is also a reflection of attitude. And so some of these kinds of things, practicing accountability, listening first, keeping commitments is, is also about your, 
your attitude towards how do you work with people? How do you engage with people? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so this is an interesting, right? We kind of talked about the idea of restoring trust, but what about extending trust? For some people, this, this can be a little tricky, right? But if you think of a person at some point in your career who extended trust to you, and you think about that situation, who was, you know, maybe it was a, um, a coach or a teacher or a boss or a peer or a mentor, whoever, um, that really extends their trust to you. How did you feel about that? And what's the impact of that situation on you today? You know, if, if anybody has a, something that comes to mind that they can share. Empowered. Yeah. I actually wouldn't be in HR <laughs> if I didn't have this scenario happen um, where I didn't trust myself and finally trust was had between me and my HR director and mm -hmm. and I was able to like, wow, okay, this is a game changer. <laughs> Maybe I do want to do this. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't trust myself you know, in the role, I was, you know, much younger, but it was, it was kind of scary. And it was like, once I allowed myself to trust myself, it was, it opens many doors. Right. It's, it can be a pretty life-changing experience for a lot of people that they can really pinpoint. You know, this was, this was the time that somebody gave me a break that saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And it, it changed my path, right? And so then we talk about, well, how do you know when you should extend that kind of trust, right? How do you know when you should, you know, when you should put that out there for somebody? And this last piece, and I'm kind of rushing because I know we're running out of time here, but there's this idea of we have a natural propensity to trust, right? Mm -hmm. either, it's either a low or a, a high continuum of your propensity to trust. And then we also have kind of a logical analysis that we can do where we can put a lot of thought into, you know, what's the scope of this project or situation? What's at risk if it fails? What's the um, downside to that person if they don't succeed, right? Is there, uh, you know, all of those pieces that you can kind of analyze logically. But there's also this kind of gut feeling about your propensity to trust. And that can come from how you were raised, you know, if you, if you grew up in Brooklyn and your parents told you every single day, you do not talk to strangers, you always lock the doors, you never take rides with anybody, right? Then maybe, maybe you kind of got this lower propensity to trust as a child, um, vice versa. You know, you, you have experiences of very easily extending trust to people. Some of that's, I think, innate, some of it's situational, but we certainly don't want to be in the blind trust of gullibility, right? We just blindly extend trust to everybody and we don't do the analysis of, of what's at stake um, for them or for us. Um, if you have no trust, you're just not, you're not giving anybody a chance and you're not even going to think about it, right? Distrust is, I don't like to trust people and I'm always skeptical, right? There's always something that they're not going to be able to do and I'm just, right, suspicion. All of those white boxes, those all create the trust taxes, right? Mm -hmm. Those all create the low trust relationships, right? What you want to push yourself towards is that smart trust where some, for some of us, maybe we have to raise our propensity to trust a little bit and we need to do it smartly, right? We don't want to just blindly run around, sure, give that a try, right? We have to be thoughtful about it. And so, um, so that's also, and there's a, a bunch of background that goes into this that, that tells you a little bit more how to do the smart trust thing. But, but I think it's an interesting concept, right? As we, as we think about our relationships and you start to maybe try to diagnose a little bit, if you're feeling like you don't have a high trust relationship with someone, go through those four cores of credibility, right? Is it, a, is it an integrity intent situation? Is it a capabilities or results situation? And is there something I can be doing differently to show up differently to them, right? Maybe they don't trust me either. And there are some steps that I need to make in order to show up differently. Um, and sometimes that is extending trust, right, to that person instead of being careful and cautious and, and reserved about it. So 
anyways, that's that's a taste of the uh, the speed of trust information, and I will definitely um, share that with you all. These slides um, encourage you to to check out more of that information if it sparks some interest in you, but. I, I really feel like that those four cores of credibility really help us understand the status of our relationships and why they are what they are. Lori, about how long does that training take when you give it to your employees? So I've done a full day version, I've done a four hour version, and I've done a two hour version. Um, this is the shortest version. <laughs> uh, so, so it just depends. Um, to to use their materials and I mean they've got these cool like trust cards that are you know materials that you take with you and, and workbooks and videos and and all kinds of things that that anchor all of these points um, but but yeah I mean you can get pretty far in a two-hour session and I'd be happy to share my uh, my stuff with you and and walk through it with you um, if you if you'd ever want to see that thank you yeah all right. Well, thanks, you guys. Um, I'm, I can stay a little bit longer if anybody wants to chat or talk through anything, but it's two minutes after, so definitely want to respect your time, too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, funny stuff. Yay. We got funny stuff if you want to have some funny stuff. <clears throat> so the first funny thing today came from... <laughs> from TCB regular and thorn in everybody's side, Laurel Ditson. Oh, oh Laurel. <laughs> Free hammocks. <laughs> Free hammocks all over town. It's like a miracle. Oh, my God. <laughs> I finally remember what Zoom meetings remind me of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the oh, what was that show hollywood like tic-tac-toe hollywood, tic -tac -toe. Square. Oh, hollywood yeah. squares thank you hollywood squares yes yes, mm -hmm. yes. paul lynn was always in the middle he was center square that's right i, <laughs> I love I'm this one. i know right <laughs> I, I, I love this one man dresses up in costumes to embarrass wife on zoom calls <laughs> <laughs> what if you want to cover any the garden <laughs> nope it is what it is <laughs> awesome. The next one. Here we go. Uh, tequila makes a fantastic sanitizer <laughs> for my insides. That's right. Oh, thoughts of dog. The human has been working from home for the last couple of days, and every so often they let me participate in the video calls. All the other humans cheer when they see me. I am the only thing holding their company together. <laughs> As ironically, my dog just walked in the door. Right? <laughs> and my favorite funny thing of today, my coworkers and me ready for another day of Zoom meetings. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> That's amazing. I saw someone say, job interviewing during a pandemic is great. I just put on a blazer and they don't even know that I'm not working hands. <laughs> Exactly. Just don't stand up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> don't spill coffee in your lap and suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, real hot, Rick. <laughs> and today's semi-quarantine cocktail is the work from home. It's a riff on whiskey sour punch. This is measured in large items. So Jenny Jaros would love this one. Okay. Uh, two, two and a half cups of orange juice, some stretchy pants, <laughs> cup of bourbon, Semi-weekly showers, because a couple times a week's enough, right? <laughs> One and a half cups of triple sec. And does anyone wear shoes anymore? <laughs> half a cup of lemon juice. Two hours searching for funny Zoom backgrounds. <laughs> Three cups of Sprite. Oh, my God, Amazon has that. <laughs> and oh, for the record, you mix this up in a giant bowl. Yes. <laughs> a giant bowl. <laughs> and a straw. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a recipe for a party. Of but, one. You know, right. Of I one. mean, <laughs> times are tough right now. Times are tough. Or just a Wednesday at my house alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow, I'm really wow, hungry. Wow. I haven't eaten all day. I haven't gotten away from my Zoom meetings. <laughs> I deserve a break. 
<laughs> I'll just drink a bowl of liquor. We have now become the dog's entertainment at five o'clock. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Thank you guys all for being here. Thank you to Lori for putting together such an amazing presentation. Uh, that topic is is a big one. And if anybody if anybody wants more information on it, please reach out to us. Let us yeah. know. Uh, Lori said she's happy to share. Absolutely. Um, and and if anybody if anybody wants to take their employees through it, let's talk about how to make that happen, right? I think we can do that. Mm -hmm. um, you guys are awesome. So good to see you. I love my Wednesdays. I love all of you guys. Hi. Good to see y'all. Have a great you. week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender.